Now it's time to get the latest from the quarterback of the pack, Aaron Rodgers. It's Tuesdays with Aaron. Here's your host, Jason Wilde. I got the points, so that means the show is starting. That means go. you got a real future as a director. Thank you. Been watching the newsroom a lot. Have you seen that show? You like that show? Great show. I kind of feel like you're on a mission to civilize sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Jeff it, Daniels, though, unbelievable actor. Good. That's a great show. I really enjoy it. He's done a lot of interesting roles over his career. He has. Yeah, the whole gamut from, uh, wasn't he in Arachnophobia? Yes, I believe so. Dumb and Dumber? All over the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now the newsroom. By the way, this is the Aaron Rodgers show. Uh Tuesdays and yeah, sometimes but, Wednesdays. Yeah, now, now next week are we going to be thrown off yet again because I think a I Monday can, game. Well, we're going to get back late, but I think I might be able to get in in time you, for you this show. Can. It means so much. So I might as well <laughs> get in. I might need to, you know, push it back a little bit. Depends on what time we get in. Well, we're uh, we're here for you. Um, all right. As much as I'd love to joke around, I feel like we should just get this out of the way so we can talk about important things like your offense and Matt Flynn and things that impact this week's game, but. Talk just. Can you kind of take us through, from your perspective, from the minute you take the snap on your interception, to, I don't know, roughly around when you sat down here. <laughs> uh, that was frustrating. You know, we had a we had a route call, drop back with the play action, and uh, just not on the same page with uh, with James. Um, by his him at the top of the route, I thought he was coming out, and he kind of. Um, when he turned, he obviously saw the defender and thought over the top would be better. By that time, the ball's already out and it was an interception. You know, I, I haven't, um, you know, minced words with my frustration with throwing interceptions. Um, you know, I just kind of got compounded fourth quarter up by 20. Don't want to give him the ball back and frustrated that I wasn't on the same page with my receiver. Um, proceeded to, to yell at him a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I. That was something I apologize for because I never want to show up a guy in the field like that. Um, and I also had to, you know, had to thank James for the way that he, uh, you know, he addressed it as well. Um, you always appreciate uh, support from your guys. Um, James has been uh, a great receiver for us for a long time, and we've played a number of years together and spent time throwing in the off seasons. Um, have a lot of faith and trust in him. Uh, he's a guy who's going to have to play a lot of uh, a lot of snaps for us, and we're counting on him and, and expecting him to make big plays for us. And um, you know, we just we we enjoy his attitude, his energy in the locker room, and um, yeah, that was something that, uh, as usual, we you know we handle uh, behind behind closed doors and um, uh, after after the incident, and, and uh, we're ready to move on. Uh, he did. He did tell us yesterday that you had apologized, and his response was, "You don't have to apologize to me. Um, you have not played GM around here ever, other than with him, and you went to bat for him, saying that this team needed to bring him back. I know you guys are good friends. Is that? I mean, I, w- I went back into the archives of the show, and you talked about this last year, right around this time. I don't know something maybe happened in the Bears game down there last year where you had yelled at." James Starks or something. Is that something that you continue to work on and when it happens it's blown out of proportion or it's something that as soon as you do it you're kind of thinking, you know, I shouldn't have let my emotions get the best of me kind of a thing. Uh, it's, it's a little of both. I mean, it's the competitor coming out, um, which is not an excuse for it. it. You know, When it's on national TV like that, you know, every game is, is in uh, some market, but uh, when you're playing Thursday night and those who don't have, uh, what is it, Time Warner cable that doesn't have the NFL Network uh, were, able to, <laughs> were able to watch the game. Uh, you know, it's it's not something I enjoy doing. Um, you know, there's there's times where uh, it, it definitely comes back the other way. And uh, you know how that maybe feels. Maybe don't catch that. Yeah, and you know how that feels. And uh, almost to a man, there's always... Uh, you know, a moment of of apology and, and uh, getting back on the same page and, and realizing that uh, as frustrating as a moment can be, the emotion uh, shown um, is never really worth, uh, you know, is never really worth it. Uh, but 
again, as usual, th- these are things that, uh, you know, we do a good job of uh, handling in the locker room and, and uh, we're a close-knit group and not letting things like this become a distraction. For uh, I, I think um, because of what happened with uh, Chicago, um, everything in that game kind of got blown. All the emotion got blown up a little more than it usually would have. Uh, but, um, you know, it's not something we're going to spend any more time on. Um you know Jay pretty well, Jay Cutler, and, yep. and now he's got a radio show which uh, would be competing with us if you didn't have your uh, the Wednesdays with Aaron this week. Um, do you think that that was a factor? I mean, he obviously got into it with his left tackle. It led to people talking about the whole idea of quarterbacks and how they react. I can't. I've seen every quarterback, every great quarterback, have this happen at some. It point. happens. It's, it's, I mean, it it happens, and and. Being uh, good friends with Tom Brady, I mean Tom's a fiery competitor who, uh, who you know, just like myself, you know, we we uh, we love to play the game, and and the motion comes out at different times. Um, it's part of the game. Uh, you never want to, uh, you know, make somebody look bad out there by showing them up too much. But uh, you've said you've gotten a lot better with it. I think I have. You know what? And I give credit to Joe Philbin for that because Joe, um, I always appreciate that about Joe. It was always more than uh more than just the game to him it was it was how you conduct yourself um you saw a lot of that on hard knocks you know he cares as much about the kind of man that you are uh, than the kind of teammate that you are and i've always appreciated that about him and and enjoyed our conversations together and enjoyed uh getting a chance to uh to talk about uh you know ways to 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 be a better professional i don't know what you did on sunday but i don't does the MVP have like free Sunday tickets or anything in nope. his house? So he got his first win. Joe Philbin. Gets Very his happy first for him. Win. Did Very you happy send him a text? I haven't yet. And... I haven't yet. But uh, really happy for Joe. I mean, Joe's a, a great guy, an incredible coach and teacher. Um, I enjoyed watching him on Hard Knocks because that was uh, his personality. I know. I know whether he wanted to admit it or not. That, that's a little bit uncomfortable for him. He's never been yeah. a guy who's really enjoyed the spotlight or being in front of camera. But uh, I thought he handled himself really well. Um, it's fun to see Coach Sherman on that. I was going to ask you that. What did you think of that? That's not the Coach Sherman that that uh, that we saw all the time uh, when he was the head coach. Um, but uh, how's it? How's he different? Because you only had him for one year, and that was obviously a tough transition year for him after he'd been stripped of the GM duties and Ted had come in. Well, he had more hands-on, it looked like, in the in the meeting. Obviously, the offensive coordinator, so he's running those meetings. It was just fun. I mean, you remember uh, a lot of memories come to mind when you're hearing him talk and, and the emotion that he has and, and his uh, thick accent. Um, you know, I, when I think about Coach Sherman, I think about his Saturday night speeches um, and just um, moments of – Humanness. I know yeah. that's not even a word, but just the we moments mean, of of, uh, of when it was everything was stripped away except for the man, and he's up there talking about um, his family and and uh, kind of bringing everything back to perspective uh, was one thing as a 21 year old rookie that I already, always uh, always appreciated. Do you? Uh, did he swear that much? I don't remember that. Yeah, no, I, I don't, don't remember I, him doing that much. Yeah, that was a little surprising. Um, you mentioned Joe Philbin, and the other thing we have to talk about is the offense. Uh, through two games, statistically, and we know statistics can be bent any way you want, but you're not dominating like you were the, out of the gate last year. Um, what do you think's factoring in there, and where's your frustration level? Because you're the guy who was talking everybody off the ledge after 0-1 mm-hmm. and letting people know that things weren't uh, all falling apart, and you were right. I think we played uh, pretty good on offenses. You know, it, it's two two real good defenses. San Francisco is going to be one of the top two or three statistical defenses in the league probably this season. Um, and uh, as far as actual defenses, there's going to be hard to find a better one. Um, and Chicago, and there's so much um, you know familiarity there with them, and, and the times we've played them. Uh, they come in playing a lot more one high than they have in the past, playing a lot more man against the Colts, and they play against us, and it's about 95% two shell. Right. Um, you know, they kind of 
um, expected their front their front six really when they're in sub personnel and, and DJ Moore to handle the run and and try not to give up any big plays and they did a good job at that. Um, they're a defense that thrives on turnovers and making you go the distance to score points. They did a good job at that. They forced a couple turnovers. Um, they um, you know had some some stops or some field goals. Um, you got to give them credit. They get paid too. But that being said, I think we left some points on the field, and I think that's. Uh, in this situation, one of the encouraging things is that we're so close. We're, uh, you know, a miscommunication on the on the screen on uh, second down that could have turned into a first down that probably took points off the board. Uh, we turned it over in the red zone that took points off the board. We, uh, you know, we missed a couple um, missed a couple throws that could have uh, turned into more points. So I think we're we're close. Um, and when you win a game, uh, then uh, you, you kind of feel better about being close than when you lose. Right. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna be fine. Can you uh, can you educate us on? I mean, we've heard of the Tampa two, the cover two, two high safeties, two shell. Can you explain what exactly it means for folks that don't quite grasp it, and why it it is a challenge for your offense? Because it would seem to be not the defense that will beat you guys but at least a defense that gives a team maybe a little bit better chance against you guys because blitzing you doesn't work some other defenses allow you to get some big plays it seems like the cover two at least gives you and maybe i'm wrong but at least gives a defense a little more of a fighting chance against your offense yeah i mean it was originally created uh to be a really a, a hybrid three deep defense with the mic having the middle third of the field and the safeties having the outside thirds of the field just another way to get to a, a one high look um, using your your middle backer uh, what Chicago has done uh, with the abilities of Brian Urlacher to to be rangy and to make plays uh, from a high position and low position is is kind of changed some of the dynamics of that Tampa 2 defense where uh, the safeties play a little more inside uh, the corners uh, play a little more outside and, and uh, are quicker to get depth in their drop where, um, you know, where it used to be they were kind of playing just the flats. Now they're riding uh, their receivers uh, up the field and getting depth with them to kind of shrink those windows even more. Um, Tampa Bay, uh, you know, back in uh, my early years was more of a spot-dropping team with their outside defenders, meaning um, they're going to read eyes. And, uh, and drop to a spot and then react to where the quarterback's looking. Um, Chicago has done more matching, meaning uh, more man principle on some of the underneath routes because they know that um, because of them playing that scheme for so long, how are teams going to attack them? They're going to attack the short middle areas, and they're going to run stick routes to the tight end and to the number two guy. And so they're um, jumping on some of those routes a little quicker, which actually was the reason that uh, Donald came that wide open on his touchdown catch. Um, that's kind of been the evolution of a Tampa 2 defense, but it's predicated on getting pressure with your front four and being able to stop the run with your uh, your front seven, and they've done a great job of that for years. The um, The prevailing theory is that if you're an upcoming opponent and you've seen how that's maybe stymied you a little bit well why don't we try it is that hard for defenses to do to change their personality and suddenly say well we're playing the packers we should try and play cover two i mean you you had said after the game you didn't expect the rest of the season to be all teams playing i don't because two things come into, into play here one is um you know the personality defense coordinator um, guys don't like doing a ton of changes. They like running what uh, you know what they've practiced and what works. And we're the same way on offense. You know, we're not going to make wholesale changes based on what we've seen the previous week if it if it worked against the team or if it didn't work. Right. Um, we like to run our stuff and and hope that we can execute better than the defense can. Most defenses are the same way. They'll be obviously they'll have a plan for us and they'll have uh, some things they really want to get to. Um, but Seattle has been a, a team that runs a lot of one high safety, which um, you know based on uh, disguises and uh, and the athleticism that they have on that side of the ball they're they're less likely i think to um to go into a, a strictly tampa two scheme uh because the, it seems that that's not um high on their uh, you know priority list and stuff they've practiced now pete carroll back at usc uh did run um some of that stuff but uh i think they're probably going to run most of the stuff that they feel comfortable with that they practiced uh, last thing about that defensive approach. Is it hard as a quarterback to be patient? Because when you have to put together those patient drives, 
every play is one more opportunity for something to go wrong, whether it's a drop pass or a fumble or a sack or you, you know. sound like Lovey Smith. Do I? I think that's kind of their their, their approach. Is yeah. they're, they're thinking the more plays, and I know that's that's kind of how Tony Dungy uh, wanted it, uh, you know, to to feel back when they started doing it a long time ago was. Um, if we can increase the amount of plays in the drive, we can increase the opportunities to get a strip, force you know, force fumble, interception, sack, um, and that's kind of uh, I think their plan. It is, uh, it's a test of patience as a quarterback because um, you you know it's going to be probably a low um, yards per attempt game. Uh, there's there's not going to be a ton of opportunities to take shots down the field, um, and then. Uh, you got to kind of make the most of them. And we hit on, I think, one of maybe three, one of four good opportunities on shots down the field. And if mm-hmm. you want to have those big days against the Bears, you're going to have to be, you know, three for four or four for four. What did you think of what you guys got out of Cedric Benson? You were a big supporter of him. What did you think of Loved uh, it. this game? I thought he ran really well. Um, Ced uh, has been so good for us. He's been a... Um, just a burst of energy for us and a guy really, um, I think, has is, is taught some guys in the locker room um, some things hopefully they take with them later in their career about really? about uh, the kind of attitude to bring in uh, to a team when you're a veteran player. Um, and I think we've all appreciated uh, his energy, his outlook, his professionalism, the way he's approached his stuff. I mean, he really cares about it and wants to be, uh, he wants to be a part of the team. Wants to be one of the guys. Wants to be somebody you can count on. Uh, it's great to, you know, it's great to finish off a game with the ball like he did with a couple real good runs out of jumbo um, to finish that game off and get us a first down. Uh, but he's just been uh, been a lot of fun to work with and, and sit next to in meetings. And um, does that mean you still aren't sitting next to McCarthy then in meetings? You still have said he kind of sits. He kind of sits in the back in those offensive meetings. Oh, okay. Just keeping an eye on everybody. He actually, uh, you know, I think he thought one of the guys was sleeping the other day in a meeting, and he had uh, he kind of yelled at him to kind of wake up. Not yell, but it was kind of a whisper yell because he didn't want to interrupt Tom up there. But uh, like, hey, yeah, like hey, Rogers. He's, he's, nah, it wasn't. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. Um, it looks like you're gonna get. James Stark's back in some way here shortly. Uh, Mike has said that he wants to get Alex Green a little bit more involved. And Cedric became the first Packers running back since Brandon Jackson in the game that you missed at New England to get 20 carries just himself. Um, how do you see this? You see yourself presiding over a running offense now uh, starting next week, or, or you think you're still going to throw the ball just a little bit? Well, I think you have to throw it in this league. You have to be successful throwing the football, but. To have balance is, is something that uh, adds a lot to your offense, especially when you're ta- playing teams that would like to, uh, you know, to put a couple guys over Jordy or Greg or or double Jermichael um, in in some form or fashion. They would help to um, to have a, a good running game. I want to win football games, so I mean, I've I've had uh, you know seasons with uh, with real big stat numbers. Uh, those are fun, but uh, it's more fun to win championships. And if we need to. Uh, to be more balanced to win a championship, then uh, I'm all for it. And we got the kind of backs uh, to do it. You need multiple backs. So uh, when James gets back 100%, Alex, I'm still a huge Brandon Sane fan with the with the things he can do in the third down game mm-hmm. um, for us. Uh, but you need multiple guys who can run the football, and it's better if they're running it than me. Two uh, two more things before we get to halftime. One, the uh, the absence of Greg Jennings last week. You know, we had spent some time talking about his future and what might happen next year. How do you feel like, even though it's next man up and you guys have a lot of talent on offense, is your offense different when you don't have Greg out there? Yeah, we miss Greg. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, his athleticism, uh, the the way he can stretch the field and get up on top uh, on the outside is is great. He's had some some big games in Chicago. Um, you think about both the games last year. He had uh, you know, he played uh, he played well. Um, the first one down there, you're looking at that film, and he had uh, like five catches on the first drive, I think. Um, he's a, he's a big time player. I mean, he's one of the top receivers in the in the game, and having him out there makes our team better for sure. And then we've talked about the officials the last couple of weeks, and I I, I would be remiss if we didn't keep the streak alive because there's been even more scrutiny now this week. Apparently. One of the guys that was supposed to work the Saints game is a Saints fan, and he was wearing a jersey on his Facebook page. But to me, the question is, 
Are you worried at all about the level of chippiness? I don't know if you saw other games, but that it sure looked like things they did not have a firm grasp on the game on Thursday night in terms of the interaction between two teams that you've talked about before have been very respectful and not real chippy with each other in the past. Special teams has always been chippy between the Bears okay. and the Packers. I right. will say that. You, you're not out there for that, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I, but I, I watched that. I think two games in general struck me this weekend. One was uh, Baltimore-Philly, uh, and the other was uh, the Monday night game. Uh, I thought in both of those games uh, that player safety was was compromised at time and the, and, and the, uh, the game got a little out of hand, mm-hmm. potentially, because uh, there was so much chippiness in those two games. Um, I would have expected more penalties. We On two occasions in the Baltimore-Philly game, they were offsetting personal fouls, which really doesn't do anything. It doesn't right. send any message to the guys. And, and and nothing happens. There's no repercussions. So there's no like 15 yard penalty on Philly, and then the guy can come over and, and get a tongue lashing on his coach, and maybe think twice about doing it again. There was a bunch of uh, scuffles, and uh, and after the play stuff that went on, um, I think the game got a little out of hand at time. Now it settled down the third quarter, um, but I think there was some some of that stuff in the Atlanta Denver game as well that. Uh, um, you know, some borderline punches thrown at one point. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they're, you know, scared to throw a guy out of the game. But uh, but I don't know. They just – I think they need to have the confidence that, you know, they're refing and they need to feel comfortable making making the calls when they're supposed to. It, it just seems like – But the, and, and to cut you off there, the other thing I found interesting – off anytime. Did you see LaShawn McCoy's comments? About the guy telling him about uh, he's on his fantasy team yeah. or something. I hope that's not true. So does that mean I have to trade you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have Jay Cutler, as a matter of fact. Um, they do seem indecisive at times, and I'm wondering if the other thing they're indecisive about, and I, I don't watch the film as closely as you, and I'm not trying to make excuses for your offense, but if I'm a defensive player, I'm going to push the envelope on clutching and grabbing and doing everything I can until they call a penalty on me and see if they have the guts to do it. You should. Do you, are you seeing that? 100%. Yeah, okay. I think that's that's one area. I think the pass interference has gotten um, – I mean, it's kind of all over the place. There, there's times where – Jones got the one in the opener that he barely touched the guy. He got an offensive one on him. Yeah. And there was, you know, the Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta, going back to the Atlanta-Denver game, the Monday night game, they called it on the uh, 32 on Denver for pass interference. That was just an absolute phantom call. Um, so there's been some crazy phantom calls, and then there's been some big no calls. Uh, there was an offensive pass interference on Jacoby Jones in the, um, the Baltimore-Philly game that, that looked a little suspect. I, I think the defenders know if you – Watching the film this year, the one thing that kind of sticks out is that there's some illegal contacts. Past five yards haven't been uh, haven't been called. So does this worry you at all? I mean, I don't know when this is going to be resolved. I don't know if the pressure is getting to the point where the commissioner's maybe going to change their position a little bit and this will get done. But are, you can't worry about things you can't control, so how do you deal with this? You just have to play and, and hope that um, – their confidence is going to grow, and they're going to feel more comfortable making the appropriate calls, and that they're studying uh, their rule book so we don't have a defensive holding call that's assessed eleven yard an eleven yard penalty and stuff like that. I mean, we um, we put a lot in this game, and, and uh, as long as the player safety uh, is is uh, thought about by them as, as on the front of their mind, um, but also enforcing the rules the correct way, then then uh, it won't have an impact on the game. We'll go inside the helmet, and we'll go really inside the helmet with our D-list question for uh, for Aaron. We'll also talk about uh, Aaron Rodgers' favorite guy, Ginge, and his big award that he received today. And we'll look ahead to the Seahawks and do your questions as Ask Aaron. This is the Aaron Rodgers Show. This is Tuesdays with Aaron. Here's Jason Wilde. Wednesdays with Aaron this week, the Aaron Rodgers Show. Thanks, Fish. He, say he takes care of you when he's back in the mix, doesn't yeah. he? Do you have anything uh, anything new on the music scene that you're you're kind of into? We talked about Philip Phillips off the air yeah. the other day, and that's pretty catchy. Catchy song. Very, it's very catchy It's at our house song. all the time. The girls love it. You're a fan of that one. Yeah, I like the, uh, the new song by Ed 
Sheeran called A Team. Hmm. It's awesome. Yeah? It's been on repeat. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to check that and out. And I was watching uh, uh, Palladia the other night, which is a... Oh, I love that channel. Do you? Well, I watch it not just Are you for, being sarcastic? No, I do. I love that channel. I love when they do the the concerts. Yeah, that's what it was. I saw the Foo Fighters at like Wembley Stadium. That is one of the all-timers. It was unbelievably yeah. great. But I kind of go through phases. Like when the Foo Fighters one was on, when I saw it I don't know, a year ago or whatever, I listened to all Foo Fighters for like a month. <laughs> uh, they were showing the, one of Coldplay's concerts over. I don't know where it was. It was in Europe somewhere. And uh, so I've been listening to them a little bit. You like them? I I'm do. a fan of them. I do. So so when Palladia does the Nickelback uh No, nope, I won't be watching that. Is that no. gonna change you? They they can't put that on there, can they? <laughs> when uh what's anything going on with the music label? I mean it's in season, so I know you're focused on your other job, but anything new on that front? Nothing I'm gonna talk about. Okay. Uh let's uh <laughs> That's why you're the best. Let's uh let's go inside the helmet and before we get to the couple of plays that I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Drew Olson from the D-List, who kind of covers for us between the end of his show and the start of this. Um, you know, he's got Thanks, little, Drew. Isn't that what a team player yeah. he is? Um, You're the best. <laughs> the uh, You know, he had the fun question about uh, your aliases and hotels, and he had the fun question about school lunches and outfits. But Now he had, he's getting serious. Now he's week. got a football question. Oh, well, he, he wanted to ask about what you're actually able to hear in your helmet now first of all like the sound quality is it like when you put on your beats headphones or is it uh a little more uh, i don't know say scratchy when you uh hear the coach and and other than the play is he i know you don't want to give away trade secrets but is he saying anything else or Uh, it cuts yeah it actually cuts off It, it runs from for 25 seconds from 40 on the play clock to 15 and the sound quality is good. You can hear it. Um, it's almost uh, too loud at times. Okay. Uh, but it helps on the road uh, because it, it gets really loud on the road, obviously, and this week will be no different. Um, but, uh, no, Mike's he's great in headset. He's uh, um, He understands that uh, I'm kind of a less is more. Uh, with the play calls, I know the I know the game plan really well. So okay. a lot of times I'm actually anticipating the call when it's coming over the headset. Um, so I can all you know I only need to hear it once, um, and and I have some hand signals for that at times. Um, but uh, the funny thing is is when he can't see me and he uh, you know maybe during a TV timeout and and he he's talking to me but he wants to know that I'm actually listening to him. Uh, so he'll be like, Hey, just nod your head if you heard me. So, so I lean out of the huddle, give him a, a thumbs up or something. But uh, it, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it's it's all about communication uh, when you're on the field. And, and Mike does a really good job of uh, of giving me enough uh, to, to where I feel real good about the play call and uh, and any checks that he might. You know, sometimes I'll say, hey, you know, when you call this one in, can you give me this reminder or something? But uh, but no, he's real good about it. So um, when you go no huddle. He, he's still able to talk to you and suggest plays? I mean, sometimes you're calling those, and sometimes he is, I assume. Yeah, I'm not going to get into the, the okay. ins and outs of that, but uh, but there's always a dialogue until 15 seconds with him and I. Okay, but you can't. But there's no microphone, right? Yeah, it's a one-way. It's a one-way. So, <laughs> so there's you're no not microphone. talking to him. It's I a mean... one-way. That's, yeah, it's dialogue, but it's a one-way conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's uh, let let's go now inside the helmet and talk about a couple of plays. Oh yes, you mentioned the driver touchdown. I wanted to talk about that first. I thought uh, we usually talk about the negatives first. I don't have any. I have. To, we talked about the negative. It started the show. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, Brady, you're being real positive. I am. I'm positive. Yeah. Um, the driver touchdown. Yep. Take us take us through it. And uh, the last time he ran onto the field uh, at a home game, it got so loud that you couldn't hear anything in your helmet. Because people were so excited to see him, take us through that play and and what happened on it. Yeah, that was a, uh, a play we put in that week. I think uh, it was Mike's idea. It was a, it was a real good, uh, real good thought. We kind of set up throughout the game, uh, hitting Jermichael uh, on a on a couple stick routes, or at least running him on some stick routes. Uh, that that uh, they started uh, jumping on him a little bit, and Donald was just kind of uh, we tried to do a two on one with Donald and Jordy on the safety. Um, 
with Jermichael was number one, but if if he got squeezed, we were looking to take a big, uh, big shot down the field and came out. And as I was looking at uh, Jermichael, uh, DJ Moore and Brian Urlacher both kind of squeezed on him, and I knew I had it. I had what we wanted—a two-on-one uh, fast break, as Mike likes to say sometimes on the safety reset back. And just peeked on the backside to see where Chris Conti was, the backside safety, to make sure that he wasn't flying over too much. Because um, sometimes those safeties, uh, if uh, if the backside receiver doesn't get a, a, a strong vertical release, uh, he he can uh, shade the middle just a little bit more than usual. Um, uh, and he he was still outside the hash, so I knew I had a good chance uh, at my two verticals. Uh, and then uh, Major Wright turned his shoulders to Jordy, who had done a great job of getting width on that play, and Donald was wide open. And the thing that the people often miss in a situation like that is um, there's multiple guys on the field who need to do exactly what they're supposed to do um, on that play to, to make it come together. It's more than, you know, obviously the line has to block well. Right. Um, but it's that play is as much about... Um, Jordy Nelson getting a great release and getting up on the safety to put stress on him, as it is about Donald taking a good angle to the end zone. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a difficult throw, um, but, uh, um, you know, it, it's also as much uh, James Jones taking the proper release outside to, to put pressure on that safety so we can't shade the middle more and, and maybe get a shot on driver that could have uh, made it a little more difficult catch. So um, you got to give credit to, to all 11 guys doing the right thing. So when a play like that is installed and you're talking about it, all that stuff that you just said, is that all emphasized? Because I it's amazing to me, and I think that's one of the reasons why as writers – you know, we have to be a little bit careful about assigning blame or thinking we know what happened. I don't want to sound like that old Jim Mora clip that's in the DJ Steve Porter video where he says, you think you know, but you really don't know, and you never will. But there's so much intricacies, there we go, um, involved here that... You can just say stuff. Stuff, yeah. yeah, I mean. yeah it's a smaller word. Uh, didn't you go to... The Berkeley of the Midwest. I did go to the Berkeley of the Midwest. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, you're exactly right, though, because uh, it takes a lot of guys doing the right thing for uh, for plays to um, to work out, and often one guy out of the eleven not doing what he's supposed to do uh, to uh, to make a play like that, or a, a, you know a different play in the game be uh, be a negative play. So um, that's why you know we when you install a play like that, you talk about uh, different things, but um, I think it's during the week. Uh, that's part of the important uh, conversations uh, that you need to have as a quarterback with uh, uh, with some of those guys and in plays that you really feel strongly about. That's one we felt strongly about. So just making sure they know that uh, we want best release possible outside. We want uh, uh, J. Mike to get his depth on that route just so Erlacher's influence enough and make sure that James getting a good release on the backside. And um, I think what it, to be honest, what it really comes down to is um, selfless guys who run to win every route. Um, and uh, we used to have a rule actually in college that the receiver coach Eric Kisa came up with. He was he, he called it the the eight rule. Um, I was number eight in college. It was um, and it kind of came up because I had a good understanding of the offense um, to where I'd often throw the football not exactly where it was where it was drawn up that you know here's one and here's two. Well, I'm expecting my backside guy who's running um, a, a deep post. Um, to run his route full speed and and just that eight rule was run every route to win as hard as you can uh, because you don't know if that's going to be the play you're going to get the ball so um you appreciate when the guys uh um, are really doing it another great example of that is james jones and i've said this before but on the back side of that touchdown he had against st louis uh, yeah last year um again i'd, I'd hit it one time in 2006 to rod gardner on a, on a spring rep and hadn't hit it since then, and in practice or in a game. Uh, but James ran to win, and uh, and caught a touchdown pass. So it's fun when uh, when guys um, sell out and, and are selfless like that, and, and make the uh, you know make the proper play. The other play I want to ask you about: you weren't actually on the field for; you were on the sideline for. But I remember watching. I don't know if it was the NFL Network, NFL Films. They did the the mic'd up thing, and. McCarthy calls an onside kick, and you know about it. You're kind of telling guys on the sideline, you know, unexpected onside kick or what surprise onside surprise kick. Surprise onside. Um, what'd you think of your guy Ginge, Tim Massey, with his 158.3 passer rating on the fake field goal for the touchdown? Another one of your buddies, Tom Crabtree, scores it. 
Take us through from your perspective on the sideline from your failure on third down to convert to Tom Crabtree ending up in the stands. That was a frustrating drive for us. We get down. Um, Cobby ran it down on that third down play to, I believe, like 11 or 12. And we had a sack and, a, you know, a couple bad plays, a poor throw on third down. So I'm I'm pretty ticked off coming off to the side. And uh, sit down, and, and the pictures are coming over. And I took a peek up at the Jumbotron, and I couldn't see. Obviously, I couldn't see the, the field because the guys were in the way. But uh, looking up at the Jumbotron, I said, oh, man, something happened. That's my, That was my first thought because it just looked like somebody got bowled over and they're blocking the field goal or it was a bad snap and Ginge couldn't handle it or um, just something looked off. And the next thing you know, um, <laughs> I look up and Crabtree is running with the football. Uh, I hadn't seen that play uh, in practice run. Uh, I knew I uh, I knew that we had some some fakes in the in the field goal game, but I, I hadn't seen that play. We were you know we do drills during the special teams period, so right. I didn't even know we had that play. Never would have guessed we would have called it on fourth and twenty six from the twenty seven. Um, but I guess they gave us the perfect look, and you know you had Barkley and and Dietrich Smith coming around leading the leading the way, and uh, they were as surprised as we were, I think, on that one. And uh, it's fun I mean, after. The amazing play they put on us last year on that oh. on that on that punt that Hester faked everybody out and Knox Cotton ran back and they called that phantom hole on on Graham that brought the play back to get him back on a play uh, I know it was probably pretty sweet for for Sean and for Mike. Uh, Ginge Tom, Tim Maste wins the special teams player of the week award on that play week. alone. Right well, he punted pretty well too. I mean, he, you know, I know you guys are buddies and and you give him a hard time, but is he you don't want to see him play, right? I mean, you want to score every nah. series and not have to have him punt. But do you think he's become a, not not a weapon as a holder, but a weapon as a – Still my word. Player. I was going to say weapon. He's a weapon. Um, when you have a guy who can uh, change the field position uh, like he can, pin, pin teams inside the 20 like he can, um, it's it's a weapon. I mean, we've, we've lost games in the past uh, – on, on special teams um, and and in on in the punt game is basically what I'm saying my my rookie year we didn't have uh, we didn't have a, a ginge back there um, helping us out I think he's got to be one of the more underrated punters in the league for this fact and this fact alone we play in an outdoor climate that often involves wind cold weather and the punting stats cannot be comparable to a guy who plays at least eight games in a controlled dome environment or in a warm climate where there's not the same kind of restrictions on uh, on punting and, and the ball feels way different in September than it does in December. Um, we're super glad we got Tim. We're glad. I mean, everybody was excited to see him re-sign. He kept that under his hat for a while, so we were kind of giving him a hard time about that. But uh, Did you know about it before it hit the media? Uh, no. No, we didn't know about it uh, but that was that was fun to be able to to have him and Mason sign for the foreseeable future. That gives us weapons in the kicking game uh, with a kicker who's got a big time leg and can make them from fifty plus consistently. Um, you know, a punter who can really change field position, and a snapper uh, who keeps his name out of the papers. Uh, those when you have those three, uh, that can really be a weapon. And we saw in the second Monday night game on opening weekend. Uh, at least as much of it as I could stay up for and listen to Chris Berman on. It was, I mean, that's a real issue. If you're, if something happens, you're a long snapper. I don't know how Evan Dietrich Smith would be, but you t- it's, it's what we always say about long snappers. You don't realize how important they are until you don't have yours. Yeah. And we've, we've been fortunate in Green Bay for a long time to have some great play at snapper with Rob Davis for all his years, um, never getting his name in the paper. And the same thing with Brett. Um, you know, it's it's fun to have him. Uh, you know, we're obviously real close, and um, but to have three really really good guys with great players, um, it, it you know it it helps out. It changes field position and it wins games for us. They still got something coming for that shaving cream thing, though. Yeah, they do. Um, 
Let's look ahead to the Seahawks. You mentioned a little bit about the one high safety thing. Can you kind of give us a scouting report of what you see from their defense? And if do you spend more time working on them because you had so much time in between these games, or, or was it important to take a few days and be just away from football? No, it's important, and it was it was important. I had to. I wanted to get out of town and, and uh, relax a little bit. Was able to do that. Went to an undisclosed location again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, they're a young defense. Um, you know, it's funny to look up there and see Brandon Browner with the two years by his name. He's a guy that I played against in college. I was telling that to Graham. I said, uh, I said it might say two years, but he's been around for a while. He was actually uh, in the same draft as me, undrafted, I believe. Went up to Canada and played for a while. Now he's back, and, he, and we saw him at the Pro Bowl. We saw... Um, you know, Chancellor was at the Pro Bowl, I believe, and and I think Thomas as well. Were they all three there? I'm not sure. Maybe that's such a great game that I don't pay yeah, as much attention I can't to it remember. as I it's should. A little fuzzy. But that being said, they're young in the secondary, but they're uh, they fly around. They make a lot of plays. Their corners are both big, athletic guys, long armed who like to uh, who feel comfortable jamming, and and that's an asset for a team when you can have big, strong, physical corners who can run and uh, don't mind playing. Um, with no space uh, up in the receiver's face at linebacker their position. Um, Leroy Hill is the oldest uh, the oldest guy in the group. Um, at eight years, I believe he was the same draft as me. Uh, he's uh, been playing at high level for a while. they got a couple young guys in there who are very active and athletic. Um, and uh, up front, they're young as well. Uh, they got some young guys playing, but they also have um, a few veterans in there. Brandon Mebane, who I play with at Cal, has been a very consistent player in the league for a long time, and um, they're an active defense that flies to the football. You see it on the film. They got a lot of guys around the ball. They make a lot of plays in the secondary. Um, they they're uh, they have one of the bigger, uh, as far as poundage goes, uh, front four. Um, they uh, they have a defensive end who weighs over 300 pounds, which is uh, a rarity in this league. But he's a big, strong, athletic guy. Gets after the passer. Um, they're a defense that plays really well together, and when you have a crowd like they do at that stadium, uh, with the, the the way that stadium was built and the, and the way the sound um, echoes and kind of stays in the stadium, it is bad. I mean, we this is something that gets a lot of attention. That and Kansas City are the loud two loudest outdoor stadiums um, for whatever reason. Uh, I'm not sure if it was designed by the same engineer, but. Uh, Seattle's a tough place to play. Um, a couple of interesting connections in this game. First of all, now you played against Pete Carroll coached USC teams in what was then the Pac-10. Yep. Anything, any value come out of that from your experience of playing his teams in any way or any significance to that, other than the fact that I think you won a conference title after the fact when they had a vacate? I don't know if they've given us that yet. They're still kind of debating over it. Really? Yeah, I haven't seen my ring yet. Okay. Uh, but uh, you always want to beat Pete Carroll teams. Um, but, uh, you know, USC is probably the second biggest rival for Cal after Stanford. Um, played with Marshawn Lynch. Right. Um, and uh, Marshawn is uh, one of the most talented guys I've ever been around. Uh, just incredible will to never go down. We used to we used to tell him, man, just go down. Don't you stand around a, you, you refuse to go down guys get extra shots on you but he's just that strong and that athletic um, that touchdown run he had in the playoffs for them one of the best plays in nfl history probably um with a, a funny youtube associated with that you should check it out if you haven't seen that okay, I'll, it's I'll by the that. same guy who did the greg jennings one uh the, when I'm, greg jennings broke his leg on madden <laughs> you got to check it out. Okay. There's two videos for you right there. The Marshawn Lynch run, uh, maybe not for kids, but uh, the Marshawn okay. Lynch run and the Craig Jennings broke his leg uh, in, in a Madden game. It's a guy playing Madden, and he's talking over kind of a replay of uh, Greg Jennings' catch after he broke his leg, and he's run down the sidelines hobbling. It's pretty funny. Is that the one where he put his team on his back, yeah. though? That's yeah. what that is? Okay. Yeah, but there's a Marshawn Lynch one as well. That, uh, okay. He's talking over highlights of that run, but uh, so you got maybe Marshawn and Brandon Meebane, and you know it's it's fun to go back up there. I have a lot of friends uh, uh, living in Portland uh, for a few years when I was growing up that are going to uh, head up and make the trip. So it's always good to be out in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Seattle has an incredible music scene. 
A lot of great bands have come from that area. A lot of great uh, CDs have been recorded in the Pacific Northwest, Portland, and uh, and Seattle. And uh, it's a it's a very clean and uh, fun city to to travel to. Obviously, the other connection. Too much rain, though. Yeah, a little bit too much. Uh, the other connections. Obviously, John Schneider is there, who worked here. He's brought in a number of ex-Packers, including your former backup, who is in a backup position now still. Um, have you have you talked to Matt? I'm guessing that the folks at Monday Night Football thought this was going to be, you know, teacher versus pupil, brother versus brother, and instead it's one great state of Wisconsin quarterback against another state of Wisconsin quarterback in Russell Wilson. Have you... Uh, have you checked in with Matt? How's he yeah, doing? Matt and I are close, and that's always how it's going to be. And we've kept in touch from the beginning of the off season when he was there, and until now, and, and that's not going to change. Um, obviously, he's not happy about what's going on out there, and, and not being uh, not being the guy. But um, you know, him and I's friendship is uh, is based a lot around uh, inside jokes and, and uh, funny quips. Um, so I, I've I've always enjoyed. Uh, Enjoy spending time with him. Look forward to seeing him, and and hope that he gets his chance at some point because he's a dynamic player who um, has proven time and time again to play really well in games. Now, before we get to ask Aaron, one other thing about him: despite that close friendship, uh, he does work for the Seattle Seahawks now. Um, do you guys have to do anything differently offensively with your audible calls or anything else because he spent four years with you and knows everything about your offense that, that you know, basically? Yeah, I mean, Daryl Bevel was here in, in 05 as well uh, as the quarterback coach, um, and it's a similar offense that uh, uh, they were running now to then. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of changes, um, subtle changes, but uh, the base of it is, is fairly similar. I think the thing that people probably don't realize is there's we do so much uh, changing of signals, dummy signals, um, things that don't mean anything that I signal out or say verbally that uh, any information um, that that Matt would give them um, yeah, is probably not going to have a big bearing on the game just because um, you take measures when you play against guys that you've played that have been here. Um, you take measures to combat that, and, and you stay away from some signals that, uh, that you might have used then that, that might be recognizable. But I think when you break it down, um, is, is anything he's going to tell them going to be able to register with the defender in a matter of, uh, you know, a couple seconds? Right. Um, probably not. Anything and, you can and, tell them and, during the week? And, any, and to, to combat that, we have a there's a lot, been a lot of signal changes in the past 12 months that uh, um, that so he won't know what different signals look like so okay um, and and have you ever seen a former teammate go somewhere and it, it actually have an impact I'm guessing not not that you would have noticed or... well we were laughing actually uh, I was laughing afterwards because uh, we played St. Louis and uh, and they had Josh Gordy who was with us for a little while. And we run some no huddle, and the guy's like, he knows the signals. And I'm like, he plays on defense. He doesn't know the signals. He may be playing a coverage a certain way, and you think, oh, he, he's in this spot. He must know the signal. No, he doesn't know the signals. He wasn't on offense. Uh, so they, they get par- it's kind of paranoid sometimes. But uh, but we change them up so much, it's, you know, and we have different dummy signals and stuff. Uh, let's get to ask Aaron before we run out of time. The first one comes from Bonnie. I read that your dad is from Lompoc, California. Is Lompoc. That, is that true? I'm actually asking this to see if Jason will pronounce Lompoc correctly. Yeah, you missed. You messed it up. I saw uh, out of sight with uh, George Clooney. They pronounced it Lompoc. Yeah. Isn't there a prison there? No. Just in the movie there was? Yeah, I guess. Okay. I, thought it was I don't prison. think there's a prison there. Okay. And, uh, yes, well, yes he went to high school in Lompoc. And... Uh, what was the question? I don't think there really was one. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Craig says, uh, I got involved with Iback Jack because of Aaron. Uh, can you share a good Jack Bartos story? I believe they're, they're going to have a celebration of, of Jack's life uh, over the weekend. Um, I know how close you were with him and, and how sad you were when you got the news. Is that, uh, you know, that's got to be something that's tough for you to talk about. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is tough. Um, 
you know, it's it's hard to kind of put into words um, when you meet somebody like that. How, how special uh, they are, and, and the kind of impact they can have on your life. Um, had a lot of a lot of fun with Jack. A couple events where we got to spend a lot of time together. Um, I really enjoyed the conversations with his mom afterwards. Um, kind of uh, to hear some of the things that Jack would say when they were at home. Um, one one that really uh, always was was dear to me was when Jack was planning his birthday party. Um, you know, he wanted to send an invite to me. And it wasn't because it, you know, it was Aaron Rodgers the quarterback. It was no, that's my buddy Aaron. You know, like I, I want him to come to my birthday party if he can. And uh, that was always cool uh, for me. To Jack, um, he cared more about the person, I think, and and it wasn't ever about the um, celebrity status or the quarterback uh, of his favorite team. It was just that. I cared about him, and he cared about me, and um, and we were buddies. Is this, um, and, and I know how much not only the Mac Fund means to you, but how much you mean to them. Is this a hard thing to be involved in, though? Because I know you met Bo, another one of the Mac Fund kids last week. He came up, he was at the game. I saw the picture of you talking to him before the game, and, you know, he, things aren't aren't good for him either. I mean, you know, you get close to some of these guy, little guys and girls, and, and you know that, there could be, even though the 80% cure rate is a great accomplishment, um, that the 20% is still there, and there's going to be some some sad endings. Is that is that hard for you to be yeah, a part of? Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, it doesn't deter me. It actually encourages me to um, to continue to work with the MAC Fund uh, and, and try and um, increase awareness um, for their cause. and Because and, it's kids like Jack, and there's... Um, you know, unfortunately, for th- there's a lot of jacks out there. There's a lot of kids, um, you know, who are struggling and, and dealing with stuff that they shouldn't have to deal with. I mean, these are uh, young kids who really care about life, and and uh, I think just wish they had a chance to to have some sort of normal life that the kids would have. And that's what really struck me um, when I spent time uh, as a as a young college student with. Uh, a kid named Daniel and Chico, um, who had cancer, uh, was just him and his family's uh, desire for Daniel to just be able to live uh, the the same life that his uh, his friends were living in, right. f- in fifth grade and being able not having to go down to Stanford Hospital and and do chemo and, and do all the blood work and shots and and just things that were just so far above. Uh, you know his maturity level and his what you know what you'd want for him, uh, and it was and that's when the desire to really try and make an impact some way started. Um, uh, my my goals and my commitment is steadfast with the Mac Fund to continue to raise awareness um, so that we can try and find ways to. In, increase the length of life for for those jacks out there. Increase the quality of life for him and his family, and uh, and and hopefully one day find um, cures for these for these cancers and diseases that uh, are not allowing these kids to live a normal life. Another sad story from yesterday was the the passing of Steve Sable from brain cancer. And I saw your brother brother Luke tweeted that. NFL films were a big part of you guys growing up. Can you, uh, this comes from Michael. He says, is, do you have a favorite NFL films piece? Mm, that's a good question. That's, that's a tough, I'm it's guessing t- there's tough choices there because there's so many. Yeah, there's so many. We had, uh, you know, if it wasn't NFL films videos, uh, it was, um, you know, stuff we might have seen on TV. But his voice is just one of those classic voices that, uh, for me, it goes down with uh, you know the Al Michaels, the John Madden, Pat Summerall, um, the uh, Bob Costas, um, the guys from my youth who I really enjoyed watching on TV and listening to what they had to say, and, and kind of grew up with uh, in sports. I'll always be able to recognize their voice instantly because right. of the hours we spent watching sports on TV and NFL films was always a part of it. I always loved, um, you know, the sideline conversations and the, uh, you know, just the 
stuff you don't see on TV that NFL Films does. Um, you know, be it the the folly tapes where they're showing all the right. all the bad plays um, and silly plays from seasons past. The uh, NFL greatest games, I think, were some of the, some of my favorite um, some of my favorite memories. But uh, that was one thing that I really uh, I really wanted to uh, to meet Steve Sable when I was a young player. Did you get to meet him at some point? I, I met him uh, when I was a young player, yeah. Um, this question comes from Quinn. He says, uh, how often do you actually get to hang out with Ryan Braun, and what do you guys do when you hang out? Now, he was at the game. <laughs> and he didn't sit in my box either. Yeah. Now, I, I saw you reference that I didn't go to your press conference after the game. I didn't even, I guess, I wasn't paying attention to the TV. Did they show him or something? How did people? I don't know. Uh, I think Clay was probably tweeting it out. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was in Clay's box, and uh, Ricky came up as well. It's been fun to to get to know Ryan, and obviously we're doing our the restaurant together with Omar. And um, how's that going? It's going well. It's going well. They, Are you gonna like work the kitchen or anything? No, nah, celebrity so. celebrity chefs. They don't need any of my help over there. They're doing a great job. Uh, but no, Ryan and I are real good friends, and enjoy the few opportunities we get to hang out. Um, got to see him. Uh, down in Malibu on one of his off days and see his mansion down there which was uh which was fun. He uh he's a funny guy. We enjoy spending time together. It's just, you know, it's normal hangout. It's yeah. You know, it's nothing ping pong at spin. It is once. ping pong. It is. Yeah. Yeah, we we went to spin one night, played ping pong. And a couple was they were playing the Cardinals that day, so a couple guys that he knew John Jay came over, and I can't remember who the other guy was. We played some ping pong, and uh, and actually, when I was at his house in Malibu, we uh, we got on the ping pong as well. I know how competitive you are, so I'm sure that's fun to watch. Yeah. Um, two more. One comes from Bree. How closely do you still follow Cal football, and how did you feel about Saturday's game against the Buckeyes? I was just watching it this morning, actually, watching the replay, part of the replay, because I didn't see. I wanted to see what happened in the fourth quarter, and I I was. On uh, I think it was ESPN two or you one of the two and they were replaying the game. I follow them real closely. Uh, I was with Coach Tedford on uh, the Fourth of July this year, and him and I are still real close in his family. I texted his son today, Taylor. Um, so I, I follow them real closely. Um, Mike McHugh, the director of football operations, and I are still real, real good friends. And I got to go out there this off season and see the incredible stuff they've done at that facility that they were promising when I was getting recruited in 2002. It finally, uh, you know, came to fruition here, and they got a great stadium that they've always wanted, and the offices and the hundred yard weight room and stuff. That being said, I was pretty ticked off to see they lost. I was following on my phone uh, on Saturday when I was at a different location um, undisclosed yeah and uh, you know was, i saw 28 28 and i saw they got a pick and they put a drive together and they they missed three field goals in the game he, he was wide left not even close on three field goals and they lost by seven so it's frustrating they got usc this week it'll be a tough game i hope they uh i hope they remember that that coach tedford really has built that program to, uh, up to what it is in the last 10 years and uh and don't make any snap judgments if they don't if they don't win ten games this year. Wow, I wouldn't have even thought that that was a possibility. No, it is. Um, you follow them as closely as you're following the Vanderbilt Commodores, since not, you refer to them as we now with your brother. Not quite quarterback. As, not quite as close. Okay. Uh, the last one comes from Claudine. She says, with the focus on the passing game and how hard Aaron throws. Have you ever clocked your throws to see how fast the ball goes? And are you ever worried about repetitive motion in injuries and what do you do to prevent them you wow. talked a little bit about i mean that that there's like three good questions all mm-hmm. in one there i've never clocked one of my throws uh you threw a pretty good fastball I though, threw a good two seam fastball back in the day two seamer <laughs> it kind of moves down and into ready in a way from a lefty what and was it, that clocked at uh high 80s no and that was taking four years off um Second question was, uh, oh, am I worried about repetitive motion injuries? Yeah, and I am. To yeah, without a doubt. I think the thing I've learned in the last eight years is that um, it's less about some of the lifts that I did in high school and junior college and getting ready to go, and at Cal as well, the uh, the big Olympic lifts, the uh, your squat, your clean, um, your bench press, uh, overhead stuff, military press. It, it's less about those uh, and more about functional training is kind of uh, a word that's uh, a phrase that's gaining 
some more importance. It's doing stuff that um, directly equates to football movements. So, and at the same time, it's preventative preventative maintenance. We like to call it uh, in our in our workout stuff. It's postural stuff. So, trying to work on ways to keep my shoulders back. Um, and and this is the stuff I was supposed to be working on. Yeah, right? that's in, what you told in me last good, week. In good alignment, uh, always, and then doing lifts, uh, doing increasing the weight only after um, I've gotten my my hips and my knees and my feet and my shoulders in proper alignment. So I'm training the muscles the right way. That being said, since I was 12 years old, my dad uh, has always had us do um, band work. Um, with a like a stretchy band and resistance. doing resistance band and doing uh, rotator cuff uh, exercises um, to strengthen that and, and to strengthen uh, your and grip strength as well. So I've always done worked on grip strength, rotational training on my on my rotator cuff and my shoulder muscles, and now when I incorporate that with my my postural stuff to make sure I'm I'm in proper alignment, I think that's really helped um, prevent some of those injuries that might happen to that's other what, people. That's what Prevea Health loves about you. You bet. We will uh, do it again next week, we think. Tuesday. All right. We know the day. Iffy on the time? Nah, I'll make it. I'll make it. All right. one thirty next Tuesday. And every Tuesday after that, right? This is it. This is yes. the last non-Sunday game on the schedule. So we'll talk about what happens in Seattle. We will look ahead to the New Orleans Saints. And we'll do your questions from Ask Aaron as well. You have been listening to the Aaron Rodgers Show.